welcome to the City View Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. I remember as my boys got older, uh, I would give them opportunities to help me mow the lawn. Opportunities to help me mow the lawn. That sounded funny um, because the goal was that they would mow it and I wouldn't have to anymore. Um, but what I remember is as they were young, they would want to help me. But they couldn't really do it on their own. And so I, I would have them pushing the lawnmower, and they would think they're pushing it, but behind me is the power. Because the lawnmower, I, I wanted to find a picture because I know my wife, but I couldn't find it. To them, the lawnmower is here, and they're pushing it like this. And dad, me, is behind them pushing it with my strength. And every time I come to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul speaks about the grace of God, where God says, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. That's the image I see. I, I see me, God, God uh, you know, I'm, I'm living my life and I'm trusting the Lord, and, but God, through his strength, is doing all the work through me. And I, I wonder if maybe applauding strength is too much and we need to applaud weakness more. You see, it, it says in my weakness, God is then made strong. Weakness is not a bad thing. It's a dependent on God kind of thing. And we're going to dive into what that looks like in just a moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you for your word and thank you for your promises and thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for your goodness and thank you, Lord, for your, your son. Thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for, Lord, there's so many things that we can be thankful for right now. Lord, I pray that this morning we would not focus on the negatives that are going on in our life, the, the sad, the, the things that can so many times encompass every bit of what we are, what we're doing, and, and why we wake up with the attitude we wake up, why we keep the blinds closed in our homes, why we close ourselves off from family and friends. Lord, I pray, God, that today maybe we might unlock your goodness and your grace a little more today, that we might walk in your grace, that we might live and experience it, God. Lord, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you that you have been so good to us. Lord, speak to us now through your word. Speak to your people all throughout the valley, Lord. I, I think of my friends over at the Bridge Church as they're having service outside that look cool and made me want to do it right now, um, but I would hate to throw that on everybody no matter the moment. Um, but God, bless them, Lord. Bless my friends over at Jesus Church. Bless Aaron over there. Um, Lord, I ask that you would just, Lord, be here at City View in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to, we have two weeks left in Corinthians. It's crazy. 2 Corinthians. We're going to be wrapping it up next week. Um, this year, when we finish 2 Corinthians next week, we will have, we will have uh, read through the book of Daniel, the book of 1 Peter, and 2 Corinthians. That's 30 chapters out of the Bible that, that we, for those of us who've been coming here for this year, that's what we've experienced this year. So it's pretty cool. I'm excited to see what God's going to do next year as we look at, oh, Revelation, um, Malachi, Philippians, 
and I think there's one more in there. I just can't. My brain's not fully. I can't remember. I can't see my whole calendar, but that's next year. But we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. How was your Thanksgiving? Good? I smoked some good meat this weekend. I did the frog-style turkey. Um, you probably heard of spatchcocking a turkey. Um, it's a weird, very weird word. But I did. It's, it's similar but different. And it seriously was the... Now, I'm not going to brag. But if I were a bragging man, like Paul says, you know, I don't want to boast about myself. <laughs> this seriously was the best turkey I've ever had in my entire life. It was so, so good. And then I smoked a brisket yesterday, 21-pounder. It was really good, even though I didn't get to go to the party because people were sick and all that kind of stuff. So it still tasted good. So that was my Thanksgiving. hope you guys had a good Good time with family, friends, and all of that. And uh, now we're going to dive into Corinthians. So in verses 1 through, three, one through 7, Paul, I'm not going to read through it, but Paul says, I don't want to boast. But if I were to boast, I'm going to tell you this story about a man. You see, all, there, are, there are these group of people called the super apostles. Now, that's not their name. That was the nickname Paul gave them, these super apostles who bragged about how spiritual they were. And so they told about these visions they had. They told about these dreams they had. They told about all these, these things that God supposedly was doing through them. And they were just bragging. And Paul says, well, I, I don't, I don't want to be like them because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. But you guys are so wrapped up in believing these people who, who sound great, who have this great ability to speak. You're all about these people who brag about how great they are. And for some reason, even the society then as we are today, we get wrapped up in these people who love to brag about themselves and they become our heroes. I don't know how. I know there are some guys, you, you, have you ever just see it? I remember in school, it's like, why do the girls always like those guys who are just straight? There's one word that comes to my mind. I won't ever say it, but they're just not the good guys. And I just don't get it. But as society, we still get attracted to the same thing. We get attracted to these people who are just not the people God calls us to look up to. And Paul says, well, okay, if you want to get so wrapped up, I'm going to tell you about a guy who had a vision. And Paul talks about himself. He says, 14 years ago, I had this vision. Whether I was in the body or not in the body, I do not know. He goes, but God took me up to the to third heaven. That doesn't mean there's levels of heaven. First heaven is the blue sky you see. Second heaven is the stars, the space that you see. Third heaven is the heavenlies where God is. That's what he's referring to when he says the third heaven. He says, I was taken there and I, was, I heard things that I've, I've never heard or never experienced before. But he doesn't give us any details. No details. But yet people in our society today, when they have these close to death or death experience, what do they give you? What do they give you? What else do they give you? Books and movies. Yet the guy who wrote most of the New Testament says, I'm not going to tell you anything about it because it's between me and God. And also, if you notice that the, in this moment, you see, these people, they were so willing to tell. And so many times when, when, when you read in the New Testament, there's multiple people who had visions in the New Testament. Visions and dreams. Were their visions and dreams ever about anybody else or always about what them and God? When you look at the New Testament, it's almost specifically between them 
and God, never something that says, hey, I had a vision for you. And here's what I need to tell you. Rarely ever does that happen. You see it a few times in the Old Testament when it was condemning of sin. But when you read in the New Testament, it's always something glorifying God. And so Paul tells about this. And, and then as he's wrapping it up, as he's coming to the end of verse 7 then, as he's sharing this vision, he says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Just like us, Paul had a problem with pride. Paul wanted to make sure, or God wanted to make sure that Paul was not going to brag because in Paul's experience, this is something that he could have easily shared and said, people, this is why you should follow me. Follow me because of my visions. Follow me because of what God tells me. Follow me because of how good of a, a preacher I am. Follow me because of all these things. He could have, he says, but because of this, because of the greatness of the revelation, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. We, we don't know what this thorn of the flesh. Now, it wasn't like a, I wish I had like a little thorn. I want to break this thing. Are these alive? Are they real? I don't know. Looks, felt real. Thorn. And I think it is real. I don't know. Is anybody here who did it? This is not what Paul's talking about. A thorn. Because really what would be this? It seems that everybody who was around Paul, they could see the thorn in his flesh. The word actually means more like a tent stake. He had like a tent stake in his flesh. He had some kind of, we, we don't, we're not 100% sure what it is. Some, some believe it was a physical ailment. Um, many believe that Paul had some kind of eye disorder, an eye disease, some kind of funky thing going on with eyes. Some believe maybe it was more of a mental thing. Maybe he battled with constant depression. He battled with constant, some kind of mental, mental issues. Some believe that, but most people believe it was some kind of physical ailment that he struggled with. And many believe because of how he writes this, many believe it was something very evident in front of everybody else because it seems like everybody knew what Paul was struggling with. So that's why many people believe that it was this eye ailment. But we are not 100% sure but what we do know is that Paul calls, calls this thorn in his flesh a messenger of Satan. Now, Satan cannot do anything in your life unless God first gives him permission to do so. We see that evident in the book of Job. When God says, hey, what have you been doing? And Satan says, I've been roaming to and fro on the earth. And, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And he says, well, I have, but you protect him. He goes, okay, you can do anything you want to him, just don't kill him. God gives him permission. So it seems that God wanting to allow, make sure that Paul doesn't become prideful, he allows Satan to try to discourage and distract Paul from the work that he's doing. 
So he's given this message, he's given this, this message from Satan, this, this constant check in his life of going, you're not that good. And Paul says then in verse 8, he says, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. He begged God three times. God, please let this leave me. I'm sure that there are some of us in here who are going through things now and you've prayed and you've begged and you've asked God to help. Maybe it's healing, maybe it's family, maybe it's depression. I don't know what it is, but there's, maybe it's this constant battle with something. I don't know what it is, but you've begged, you've pleaded. Some people think that Paul, this really was only three prayers, but many think this is more of a Hebrew understanding, more of like a Hebrew tradition of language where Paul, three meaning it's an endless amount of praying for. That he's constantly asking the Lord, God, please heal me. God, please heal me. God, please heal me. And I know some of us have been in that. Have you ever been in that moment where you're like, God, please help, please help you, please help? And it seems like it's going on deaf ears. I remember as a little kid, I, my, so my parents got divorced when I was in third grade. Um, I, I'll never forget that moment. Uh, just, it, was, it, it's, it, it, it affects you in life. And I remember being in the backyard. We had this tree where actually at one point there was like wasps around it and I was teasing them and they stung my brother. That has nothing to do with this story. Um, that's just an ADD brain remembering another story while you're telling a story. Um, but I remember going by this tree when there was a tree there and I remember pleading and begging God that he'd bring my mom home. And I remember asking and asking and asking and asking and asking and asking and asking over and over and over again as a kid. And we may not understand why God doesn't answer our prayers the way he does, but he does answer. God brought me great mom, bonus mom in my life. I have both moms still in my life. I, I am blessed to have two great moms. But I remember as a kid, I begged, I begged, I begged. And God didn't answer how I wanted. And I wonder if as Paul was begging and pleading with the Lord, I wonder how many times he felt like quitting and giving up. Imagine if he would have. Because this, it seems like this, his, his vision happened 14 years earlier. So there's other books that hadn't been written yet when he had this first vision. We don't know when this ailment happened, but we can, we can assume it happened somewhere after the 14 years. So maybe 10 years. So we don't know how many books because we don't know exactly when all of that, that happened. But, but what if he would have quit? Because God didn't answer. Because God, and not that God didn't answer, but what if he didn't quit because God didn't answer the way he wanted him to answer? Because that's so many times, it's, it's that God doesn't answer how we want it. If you're a sports fan, I'm sure some of you who were watching the Diamondbacks, you're like, God, please let them win. And they didn't. I, I don't know how many of you have ever prayed for your sports team, but I'm like, God, I don't know if you care. That's usually how I start that prayer. And so I'm, I wonder if he's like, here it comes, a sports prayer. <laughs> I wonder. I don't know. I'll ask him later. But I've also prayed, 
for finances, for health, for people. And you never know how God will answer. You never know when God's going to answer. You never know how God's going to answer. Last week, we got to see God answer a prayer. I've been praying for a young man that he would get baptized and come to know the Lord and start living for him. And last week, we got to see it. We got to see a young man, my friend, my brother's, uh, my son's friend named Jace. We got to see that happen. You guys, that's just three years of prayer. Some of you, you've been praying for somebody for three, five, 15, 20, 30 years. Paul, at no point does he say he gave up, but what Paul does, Paul says this is a messenger of Satan, and so there are these voices in our minds as you're going through those hard times, there's voices going, there's the message from Satan saying, quit, give up, you're no good, you're of no worth, you have no value, you should just look at this, this is a consequence of your sin, you have this thorn in your flesh because you're so evil, you have this, that voice going on, whatever Satan's whispering in your ear, you have that voice. And then there's the voice that Paul says in verse 9. Verse 9 of chapter 12. And he, meaning God, said to me the message of God. My grace is sufficient for you. You see, there's the voice of the devil with his message. And there's the voice of God saying, my grace is enough for you. My grace is enough for you. He says, my grace is enough for you for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God's message was my grace is enough to get you through life. That was God's message to Paul. My grace is enough to get you through life. My grace is enough to get you through the struggle in your marriage. My grace is enough to get you through the struggle of parenting. My grace is enough to get you through the loss of a loved one. My grace is enough to get you through this illness. My grace is enough is to get you through the struggles of school. My grace is enough. That's God's message to you. The devil's message is quit, give up, you're no good, you're no value. That's his message, and that message never stops. God's message is, I'm going to get you through. My grace for you is enough. These two voices are battling for your mind and your heart. And I think we have made light of the strength of God's grace. I think we go to man for help way before we go to God. I think we go to man for help, whether it's our physical needs, our mental needs, our counseling needs, our, our any of those needs. I think we go to man way quicker than we should. And we don't cry out to God quick enough. I think it's because we think that God, okay, yeah, and I, I, I'm nothing against counselors, nothing against medical doctors, nothing against those things. But I think that we have forgotten that we believe in a God who heals, who created us, and who has the power to heal and do more than we could ever imagine or think. And Paul in this moment, Paul doesn't doubt the, the work of doctors. He had a traveling doctor. He had a guy named Luke who went with him everywhere he went, who was his personal personal doctor. Paul told Timothy in the book of Timothy, hey, drink some wine for your stomach. It'll help with that. Paul's not saying that, but, but I think what God is saying to Paul is, hey, sometimes you just need to trust in me more than you do. My grace is enough. I think that we can think lightly about the power of God's grace. For Paul, grace was enough. 
But it doesn't seem it started there because he begged God multiple times, God, please heal. God, please heal. God, please heal. But through his asking, God continued to tell him, Paul, my grace is enough. Paul, my grace is enough. You see, and in those moments in life, we choose which voice we turn down and we choose which voice we turn up. Don't we? How many of you have ever turned up the voice of the discouragement, the distraction, the depression, all of, how many of you have ever turned that voice up in your mind and you can, it's, God's voice is getting quieter and quieter. How many of you have ever done that? And so all of a sudden your life is getting, it, it seems like it's going down more and more and more. Could it be that you've turned the wrong volume up? Paul, I think in this moment, as he's continuing to cry out to the Lord, he's turning God's voice up. The devil's voice, is it loud? It is loud, but he has so focused on God. Is it because Paul is super human and he can do more? No, I think Paul just had things in line. And I ask you, is God's grace enough for you? Or do you need God's grace plus a relationship? God's grace plus, I don't know, some medication that helps you cope with whatever. And I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying sometimes what we do is we depend more on those things than we do on God. We haven't even asked God to heal us. We haven't even asked God to help us. We haven't even asked God to intervene in a relationship. We haven't even asked God to help us with depression. We haven't even asked God to help us with our anxiety. We haven't even asked God to help us with our relationship. We haven't even introduced him to We just said, hey God, will you please help me? Or just in some frivolous. We haven't begged. We haven't pleaded. We haven't even laid it before him. We just go to anything and everything else other than him. When God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient, he's not giving it as an option. This isn't an option. But what, Paul, what God is saying is, is he says, my grace is sufficient, this is a demand. That's the idea of the wording here when he says this in verse nine, he says, my grace is sufficient, my grace, this is all you need is my grace. This is a demand. It's a, it's a command. It's, it's God telling him, this is what you need. Have we stopped trusting in the power of God's grace? Have we forgotten that it has power? See, God's grace has power. We don't have to supply it on our own. You don't have to prove anything to God. God's not asking you to man up and suck it up and go keep going and grind and grind. No, I think those are important qualities because Paul doesn't quit when things got hard. Paul doesn't quit, but God's not asking you to do it for him. But life is not meant to be lived in our strength. It says there in verse nine, for power is perfected in weakness most gladly. Therefore, I would rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. This word power, power is, when it says power is perfected, this is power is made complete. Power is brought to its fullness in God's grace. It is when we are willing to admit our weakness and need of God's grace in our time, in times in our life. It's when we say this weakness is not like being frail and some weak little person, but it's a weakness of, of you going, I need help. It reminds me of that scene in the Remember the Titans where that one guy goes up to, I don't know, the other player and he says, hey, I, I can't cover this guy. I need your help. You're faster than me. He's, he's killing me. He's burning me. It's, a, it's that willingness to humble and say, I need your help. 
In our life, that should be us to God constantly. God, I need you. God, I need your help. God, I need your grace. This is not speaking of the grace like for salvation, forgiveness, but it's that grace of God, his presence, this constant in our lives. In our life, God's care for us. God did not change Paul's situation or remove his affliction, but what God did is he added the ingredient of grace that he might get through. He still has the pain. He still has the struggle. He still has the sorrow. But what God did is he added that ingredient, that ingredient of grace. Isn't it amazing at what simple things to a recipe can do? I made banana bread when I was in eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade. I don't remember what it was. I was in home ec class. I sewed a shirt that was purple. I sewed a pillow that was lame. It was like a rabbit or something. I was such a weird eighth grader. For those of you who are in eighth grade and you're just going through your funky eighth grade stage, it's okay. You'll grow up to be normal, I hope. I made banana bread. It looked amazing. Perfect in every way. There's an ingredient called baking powder or baking soda. I don't remember which one it was. Soda. And you're supposed to put like a teaspoon I did a tablespoon, and it tasted like baking soda. It's amazing what one ingredient will do to make or break things. God, in his amazing love for us, added the ingredient of grace to each of our lives that gets us through. Got Paul through. Grace is so much more than a word we read, a song we sing, and, and what we pray before we eat. Grace is, is God's place in our life. It's, it, grace is all throughout Scripture. It says in 1 Peter 5.10, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may find receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Acts 20 verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. James 4 6, but he gives a greater grace therefore. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Our God is the God of all grace. His throne is a throne of grace. His word is the word of grace. His promises are to give us more, greater grace, and his grace is all we need. His grace is sufficient. Paul says, this is what I boast about. This is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the grace of God, and I wonder, what is it that we boast about? What is it we talk about? Paul says, I just want to tell you about grace. God is not looking for us to prove that we don't need help. God is looking for strong men and women to say, God, we need your help. We need to be people who can be honest with God. We need to admit our need for him. This is what a strong man looks like according to what Paul says. He says, what is, what is a strong man? A, a strong man is a, it's a man who is strong when he is weak. It's a man who is strong in grace. 
A man is strong when, he bo- when his boasting is in his weakness. A man is strong when Christ is seen in them. Weakness and strength are seen in very different ways today, though, aren't they? We actually live in a time where it seems like our culture celebrates weakness. It seems like our culture celebrates weak men and strong women. Would you not say that's true? You're like, whoa, whoa, what are you saying? Here, here's Weak men, like you see guys like Harry Styles dressed in a dress and we're applauding that. Like that's cool. And then we see women who say, I don't need anybody to do anything. Those are the polar opposites of what God wants. God wants, bo- God wants both parties to say, we need you, God. But our culture is celebrating the opposite thing of what God wants. Paul is not speaking about weak men in the way of weak, frail, and because we need men to be strong. Not just in their emotions, but in their physical strength. It's okay to be strong. Paul, when he's speaking of weakness, he's speaking of weakness being willing to say, I need help. He's speaking of weakness going, God, I need you. That's the weakness that Paul is referring to. A weakness, a dependence on the Lord for all things. He is not saying we need to be, you know, a bunch of little wimps running around crying about life, which I think that's what a lot of people do. I think we whine way too much about life. Life is hard. Life stinks sometimes. I get it, man. It's, it's good to have those people in your life. Paul, throughout most of this chapter, these, these chapter, he's talking about the struggles of his life in ministry. That's a, most of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is a pastor's heart going, would you guys just pray for me? Do you not realize the struggle of a pastor's life? That's chapter. That's all of pretty much all of Second Corinthians. It's a pastor's heart being vulnerable for before his people. That's all of it. Paul is speaking here, though. He's speaking about men and women who are dependent on the grace of God for every area of their life, so that they can be strong. In Second Samuel chapter twenty-three, we read about these men called. David's mighty men. I don't know if you've ever read. If you've never read 2 Samuel chapter 23, you should read it today. If you're, if, it doesn't matter who you're, a dude, girl, it doesn't matter. If you're a dude, definitely read it. It's, the, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It is some radical men. But, but what David, as he's writing this, he writes about three specific men. There's guys who take out whole armies with just an animal bone. There's guys who take out whole armies with sticks. There's guys who take out whole armies with spears. But David says, but their strength does not compare to these three. There were three men specifically that David highlights in this chapter of 2 Samuel chapter 3. But he says, the strength of these three is greater than all. You want to know what they did? They did not fight a battle. They did not kill a soul. They heard the heart of their king, and they lived for him. They heard him say, I would love a drink from the wells in, I think it was Bethlehem or Bethel or a well somewhere. Apparently had good water. My wife loves Mountain, Diet Mountain Dew at Circle K. Certain Circle Ks have a better mix than others. So my son will text his mom, say, Mom, do you want a drink? And he knows where to go, the wells that give Diet Mountain Dew. So these three men, they heard their king, and so they said, hey, we're going to go out, and we're going to get our king a drink. They snuck in at night. They got him a pitcher. They bring it to him. 
And the humility of David says, how can I drink this when you risked your life? And he spills it on the ground. I'd be like, what the? I just risked my life for you, you idiot. Why would you spill that? We almost died. But they didn't say that. But David writes about these mighty men and what made them mighty. It was their willingness to follow the heart of their king. And that's what makes mighty women and mighty men today is a willingness to follow the heart of your king, your king Jesus, to submit to him and say, I can't, but you can. Men in this room, This is what godly strength is. It's dependent upon God and how you live. It's dependent on how you love your wife. It's being dependent on how you love your children. That, that's, it's depending on him. Godly strength is dependent on God. It's a dependence on how you love. It's dependence on the love of your kids. It's, it's a dependence on him and how you lead your family. That's a godly strength. It's depending on him for all things. When we are dependent on God, his strength is seen in us. When you're dependent on him, when you're waking up every morning going, I've got to read God's word because I can't live today without it. I can't parent today without it. I can't work with my coworkers today without God's word bleeding in me in every area. I need to be filled with that. Some of us, we're bleeding everything. If we were to do a, a toxology test on your skin, on your blood, it would either bleed just coffee, alcohol, some other substance, but there should be so much evidence that you're wrapped up in God that somehow it's bled through you, that people, when they see you, it, it, it's, almost, it's coming out of every pore, that people, as they're around you, they're going, man, there's something different about you. It's a dependence on God, and that's what God says. That's what Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians, says, but God, you, I, I was, I'm in such a hard time. There's this thorn in my side, whatever it is, this ailment in my eyes. He says, but God, you said your grace is enough. It's sufficient for me, for grace. Grace makes me powerful. It is then that we can be filled with the power that we need to live. Power is seen when grace is enough for your life. Power is perfected in weakness. It's not perfected in you trying to prove something. God's power in your life is perfected when you say, God, I can't. God, I can't parent. God, I can't work without you being living through me. God, I can't do my schoolwork. I can't go to school. I can't do this unless, God, you're doing it through me. God, it's this constant dependence. It's this constant seeking God, saying, God, I can't live today without you. It's that power. Power is perfected in weakness. Power takes place when Christ dwells in you. That means he's made his home in you. Not a visitor and not a guest, but home. Meaning he knows his way around. He knows where the ketchup is in your refrigerator. He knows where your jacket closet is. He knows where the drawer is that you hide all your stuff. 
How many of you have that drawer in your house? How many of you have that drawer in your heart? You see, when God dwells in you, he knows that drawer. And little by little, he's helping you clean it out. He doesn't take your drawer and dump it on the floor. How many of you would be like, oh my gosh, if somebody ever did that to my, let's call it, just, just focus on your drawer in your house. I do it every once in a while, the drawer in my house. I go through it and I'll find old whatever, who, know, who knows what could be in that drawer. It's my catch-all. But I'm glad my wife doesn't come home one day and get so frustrated and she just doesn't take that drawer and go, pss, God's the same way with your heart. But as God is dwelling in your heart, what he's doing is little by little, he's taking it. He's saying, hey, let's work on this one today. Let's work on this. Power is a result of being content. Saying, God, okay, I'm, I'm good with where I am right now. We need men and women who say this, as it says in verse 10. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness in my insults, in my hardships, in my persecution, and in my troubles. That's the voice that Paul turned up. The voice of God that says, okay, you're gonna go through hard times. Turn up my voice that says, my grace is enough for you. He says, that's why I take pleasure in these things, in persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It is in those moments in life that Christ shines through you and his strength becomes all you need. When God is enough. It's getting to that point of letting God's grace be enough for you. Because it's a constant battle of wanting more. So today I ask, is God's grace enough? Is his love for you enough? Or is it lacking? If it's lacking, I think maybe you just haven't experienced his goodness. Ask him. And maybe that's what Paul, what changed in Paul is as he asked God, God, I need you to heal this. And maybe it was in that asking the Lord to heal that God revealed a little more of his grace. God, I need you to heal this area of my heart. I need you to heal this sickness. And maybe it was in that ask that God revealed a little more of his grace. So maybe for you, today, the struggle you're going through, maybe what you need to do, say, God, I, I, I need you to show me more and see what he does. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being a God of grace. Thank you that your grace, your love for us, your death on the cross gives us hope to live.
God, may we not live trying to depend on our own strength, but we, may we live depending on yours. Relying on you and knowing that you're good and that you do good things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to click that follow button and tune in next week for another great message.